0: Today, I am recording with Erica Hornthal, and we're actually doing audio only today. We ran into some issues with Zencaster, and it gave me an opportunity to practice grounding myself, connecting with myself, really tuning into how my body was feeling. And that's exactly, not maybe not exactly is the best term, but that is one of the things that Erica specializes in as a dance and movement therapist. And as I was going through Erica's work to prepare for today, I felt a lot of ease coming up just knowing that we are going to cover this important topic that, funny enough, since the show focuses so much on the mental and emotional side of our health, I tend to not put too much emphasis on the physical side. So Erica, thanks for joining me today to become more intentional about the way we move our bodies, how they feel, building that greater sense of connection and intimacy with ourselves and our loved ones, and slowing down so that we can lessen, hopefully, (laughs) our anxiety and all of that.
1: Thank you for having me. It's something I Absolutely love talking about. So it's a pleasure to be here.
0: What is it that you love about that specifically? And how did you get into this line of work?
1: I think what I notice for myself is just the passion and aliveness that I feel in my body when I start to talk about these things. It's unexplainable. I don't really have words for it necessarily. It's just a feeling and a sensation that I get. I think more so it's the sensations or lack of when I'm not engaging in these conversations, when I'm not actually tuning into the language of my body or at least talking about my body connection. So it's just a sensation that I get of kind of excitement and heat and that fiery passion. Um, I don't know if it was something that I always was aware of, but I think it's something that's always been inside of me. And I've always been traditionally a verbal, very cognitive person. So it didn't really come naturally to me to listen to my body. I think I was very good at turning off my body or shutting off sensations or numbing them or ignoring them. Um, But I started off as a kid dancing and always used dance as a form of expression and sometimes escape a way for me to really express myself fully. I always say that I feel the most myself when I'm dancing. And as I started to explore career options, ultimately I was led to the field of dance movement therapy. I was able to marry my passion of moving and dancing more specifically with my love for psychology and mental health and ultimately really trying to create accessibility and. Ease for people to understand this innate wisdom of their body, using their body, how to listen to their body to better support their mental health.
0: That's so cool to just listen to. I feel again that the word ease comes up for me a lot, just hearing your voice, how you describe things. And it's also interesting how you noted it, it didn't necessarily come naturally to you because. I assumed that it did. (laughs) And it's such a great opportunity to check assumptions. Some of the things that we're best at, that we become experts in, that we're most passionate about weren't necessarily there our whole lives. So how did you transition into how did this become that passion and aliveness, like you mentioned, if it didn't come naturally to you when you were younger?
1: I think expressing myself is very natural. I've always had what feels like a high emotional intelligence. I don't think I necessarily understood any of that as a kid. It just translated to sensitivity or anxiety or worry. Some of that was modeled from family members. And I think some of it was just my own natural tendencies, curiosities, et cetera. So when I, began school actually graduate school for dance movement therapy and counseling i didn't even realize the expansiveness of this work and so here i am just using what i know of to be true of dance and i think what most of society thinks of as dance this certain set of choreography skill set and over time have really come more to understand that it is how present we are in our bodies how much we're able to express ourselves through our bodies, how much range of emotional capacity we have through our movement. So I think what really started to shift for me, was certainly not in graduate school because I, even after I graduated, I was still thinking, what is this? What did I get myself into? I loved it. I found a passion for it and certainly wanted to to continue to grow as a practitioner, but I still didn't realize the full Capacity, I guess the full potential. And every therapist is different. Every practitioner practices a little differently, has a different influence that they focus on. So I think what really happened for me was one, this passion for advocating for the field, realizing that not enough people knew about the power of dance and movement within the therapeutic relationship as a niche form of psychotherapy. But I think the other thing that happened was this innate ability for me to make movement accessible to everyone and to break down the myths and assumptions and even stereotypes that movement has. That oftentimes when we think of movement, it comes with the word exercise and that really leaves so much to the imagination. It's really lacking with regard to how much we could be bringing to the table in order to support our mental health. So I think that's where I really feel like I've landed and a place that I could just speak extensively on (laughs) and realizing that there's a lot of talk about somatics. There's a lot of talk about body and movement and especially with regard to trauma, but there's a lack of practicality. There's lack of accessibility And even when we say things like listen to our bodies, it's very elusive for a lot of people. We don't know what that means or how to do that. So I feel like my skill set has really been in bringing it back down to earth and making it more accessible. And that was something I needed because that's really how I entered into the work myself.
0: That's really beautiful. And I'm so grateful that you do that work. Accessibility is something I'm increasingly becoming passionate about myself and learning a lot about because I've had a lot of privilege with my body, for instance, on many levels. I am able-bodied. I am uh, carry the privilege of being a white woman, on and on, all of these things that I just took for granted. I'm not The most coordinated person, I tend to be a little bit clumsy, but (laughs) I used to dance a lot when I was younger and had a lot of passion for it. So I learned how to be good at it. And as you're talking, I think about how many people either don't have those privileges or access or maybe even interests. And I would love to learn more about what isn't accessible about dance and movement.
1: So I think what makes dance and movement inaccessible are the constructs, right? And the myths, or I guess just the assumptions that we place on it. Most of us are able to express ourselves through things other than body language. Formal language, we learn our ABCs, we're learning to read and speak. And again, that is a privilege in itself. So I recognize that not everybody has that same trajectory. But again, just speaking from this generalized place of society, that all of the sudden dance goes from our innate, original, first language from, goes from that to this art form, skill set, activity, career for the very privileged few that can use their body in ways to perform. Again, even that is opening wider than it used to be, but for so long it was, it had a very specific body type and sound and look. I think broadening our definition of dance, looking at it from a different perspective, allows movement to be more accessible. And at the heart of it, understanding, one, that movement is really just a shift or a change in position or posture, and that we're doing it all the time. So we always look at movement from a space of limitation as opposed to a space of possibility or ability. So especially as an able-bodied person, I'm going to see the rest of the world around me with regard to what they can't do based off of what I can do. And so from an individual perspective, if we can come back home to our bodies, really take a look and become aware of how we move, what makes us individuals, what movements are at our disposal, we can really start to expand this view of how my movement contributes perpetuates inhibits etc my emotional well-being because our movement has everything to do with who we are our early movement experiences shape our identity shape who we are and we don't necessarily know how or think that they can be repatterned and i truly believe that if there are things we want to change behaviors actions emotions thoughts we owe it to ourselves to go back to where they are wired, how they are patterned within us. And that comes down to movement. And it's not just dance. It's not dance the way we see it traditionally in the world, um, but the core component of dance, which is movement, which we all do. We all have the ability to do in our own way.
0: I really like the way you phrase so much of what you just said. You are very articulate and inspiring with your words, and what more could you ask for on a podcast? (laughs) And it inspires so much curiosity within me because now I'm sitting here visualizing memories of how not only I have moved, but how I've noticed other people move. And I realize that I'm looking at it through a little bit of a narrow viewpoint because What I'm interpreting some of what you're saying to mean is it's not just these kind of more traditional versions of movement, like the dance. When I think of dance, I think of specific types of dancing. I think of either the more casual dancing that you might do to music on your own or with other people, maybe in a club or something. And then I think of the professional dancing and all the different styles of dance But it sounds like what you're saying is that all different types of movement could be dance. Or maybe I'm getting it mixed up, whereas dance is one of the... uh, This sounds a little obvious, I suppose. Dance is one of the many forms of movement. (laughs) I would love clarification on that. If I'm trying to broaden my view on both dance and movement, what can I do? What else could I look for? And maybe you have some examples of what we might not notice.
1: Yeah, so I think dance has a lot of different definitions to be honest with you. So, you know, to say that there's one specific way to view it and then obviously changes across cultures as well wouldn't necessarily be true to to have one one formalized definition, right? So the idea is really to make the definition work for you. Right? What is dance for you? What is dance to you? And if dance is limiting, if your definition of dance is limiting and it suggests that you can't do it, then maybe we need to redefine it because Dance at the very heart of it is something that should be accessible to everybody. It's a basic form of expression. We see children, babies, infants, like you put on some music or you co-regulate with a family member or a caregiver and there's movement there. And then that kind of becomes a dance of relationship. There's a give and take, there's a push and pull. So I think broadening our definition of what dance is, that there is the art form of dance. There is this talent, this skill set, this formalized idea of what we think of when we hear the word dance, whether it's partner dance, whether it's for certain type of dancing, you know that there's tradition there, right? That there's legacy, that there's generationally, right? Dances that are passed down. Again, this idea of like traditional dances, folklore, folk dances, right? These are ways that we've celebrated, grieved, honored, right? Things of the past, parts of our histories. So before dance was this formal... Again, I keep saying art form, right? Or form of expression, entertainment, right? That's certainly how we see a lot of dance now, that dance becomes entertainment. And if I can't provide entertainment through my movement, then I must not be a dancer. Furthermore, if I feel uncomfortable or if I feel silly or s- dumb or stupid even as I'm dancing, I feel uncoordinated or untalented, right? Then I must not be a dancer. When at the heart of it, Again, I feel like we're all dancers, right? It's the judgments that we place on dance that makes us not a dancer. So I have two left feet, or I don't have any rhythm. Everyone has rhythm. Everyone has some type of rhythm. It might not be the rhythm that you think is in time with someone else, right? Or keeping up with a certain tempo, but we all have an innate rhythm. We all have a rhythm, a breath, a heartbeat. So I think just broadening this idea of what is dance, what are the judgments and the assumptions that I place on dance? Why is dance inaccessible to me? What suggests that I can't dance? And blowing those away, (laughs) right? Like starting from ground zero, just re-exploring that because all of us, regardless of our physical abilities, all of us were dancers at some point. I guarantee there is a video, a photograph, a memory where someone said, "Oh, look at that child dance. Look at them bounce, look at them jump, look at that child moving to the music." That doesn't suggest that they're a professional dancer. They're not going to become a dancer by trade, but they are dancing. And again, at some point we that that leaves our vocabulary. It goes from dance as expression to dance as talent, dance as entertainment. And if we don't feel worthy of that or able to carry that, then dance leaves our vocabulary. We're no longer considering ourselves dancers or we just, we don't do it at all.
0: Wow. I'm really blown away with that sentiment. It's shattering a lot of blocks that I've found within myself, to be honest. And I thought I consider myself to be quite open-minded, but I feel like I'm coming up against my own limitations and noticing them within others. So I'm so grateful that you're speaking on this, Erica. It's really powerful. I first started thinking about, as you were talking, thinking about other people and the shame I hear, especially when you were talking about entertainment and how either we exclude ourselves from dance because we feel like it's reserved for somebody who's going to entertain us or if we feel like we don't want to entertain someone or we're not good at entertaining someone, like maybe we quote, don't dance. And I love how you're pointing out like dance shows up probably in all our lives. We might not even notice it. And I can think of a specific example in a romantic relationship in which my boyfriend had said that he didn't dance over and over again. And yet I would catch him dancing around me. (laughs) And I sometimes would point out, I thought you said you didn't dance. And we'd laugh about it. And I realized that it was just like it's not that he didn't dance. Like anytime music came on that he enjoyed, he would dance around to it. But in his head, I think he was viewing it as he w- he wasn't a good dancer, so he wasn't a, he didn't dance. You know, but it was it was a very different definition.
1: Yeah, it makes me think that we almost have to ask ourselves who are we dancing for? If someone says I don't dance, I don't think it's that they don't personally move or dance, it's that they don't dance for others. They don't dance with the expectation that someone's going to watch them. Or again, that definition of professional dancer, which means someone's going to pay, right, to watch them dance. So in that case, I'm not a dancer either. (laughs) I can count on one hand how many times I got paid to dance and it was in the capacity of like a bar mitzvah or something. So it's, I think perhaps if I were a professional dancer, we'd be having a different conversation because I would have a skewed view. But considering that I don't embody professional dancer, I don't, when I sit call myself a dancer or even have a hard time calling myself a dancer, it's because I don't have that professional dance. I'm using quotes, professional dance identity. I see dance as a way of connecting to myself. I, like, as I said, like I am the most myself when I dance and, And that means that I lose myself when I'm not engaging in dance in a regular, on a regular basis, which is so often as an example, like my spouse was recently out of town and when it's just me watching the kids, my freedom to go out and take a dance class or go to my, whatever my movement practice of choice tends to go out the window because I can't bring them and I can't leave them. (laughs) So It's interesting because then for me, I start to lose touch with a little part of myself. And it's so important for me to get back to that place, which is great. You're back. I'm going to go dance. And that begs the question of why don't I just put on music, right? Or just dance around my kitchen, which I can totally do. It's, it serves a different purpose, right? For me, it's really, it's actually going to a class, it's following someone else's movements. It's not necessarily following the rhythm of my own heart. Although that's, very healing for some people. So it's also recognizing what purpose dance serves for you if you connect to that word. And if you don't, that's why I really started using the word movement more. It's why as therapists, we hyphenate dance movement therapist, because not all of us as therapists connect to that word dance and not all of our clients do. But again, at the heart of it, we are all moving and it's about using movement to express something that may be too deep for words.
0: And that circles back to that question I was pondering earlier, and you just gave me so much clarity of understanding. I think movement can be very separate from dance, although I'm not 100% sure if you would agree with that. Like It's all movement dance in a way. (laughs) But I think the clarity you just gave about how Maybe it's all part of the same definition. It's just maybe a word that we're using based on what somebody views movement or dance as and the purpose that it's serving and the question you asked about who are we dancing for. And that also brings me to my own limitations, which is noticing in my life how much I've always loved to dance and more of what I see a traditional definition of dance like Doing dance routines is something I loved as a kid. And I remember I would watch Janet Jackson and her music videos. And that was like the be all end all. And then it was Britney Spears for me. I loved watching her dance. And I couldn't wait to get to an age where I could go take dance classes because in the town I grew up, there weren't very many available. And when I got to college, I, somewhere towards the beginning of my college experience, went to a hip-hop dance class which was always my preferred style to learn it was so scary i almost feel the same tension and anxiety and stress coming up in my body just talking about it as it felt back then i vividly remember going to the class and how nerve-wracking that was i was concerned about what i was wearing I was concerned about what the other people would be like. I was wondering if I'd be able to keep up, if anybody would be looking at me. like So many fears. And over many years of going to dance classes, I had that same experience. I got very concerned with the judgment. And that was a block for me because it's hard to overcome. And I imagine I'm not the only one. You talk about dance classes, they simultaneously sound like, to me, exhilarating and I'm right there with you. I'm like, yes, I want to go to a dance class. And then there's like another side of me that goes, oh, but that's really scary.
1: Yeah. No, you're definitely not alone in that. Speaking from my own experience, but also just hearing so many other individuals sharing that viewpoint. A lot of stuff comes to mind as you were talking, just stirring thoughts and sensations in my body. So I took it upon myself to just quickly look up the definition of dance. I thought to myself like what is that? If someone googled dance, what would they find? So obviously there's a couple different definitions, but just real briefly. So if you look at like britannica.com, right or dictionary.com, it says dance the movement of the body in a rhythmic way usually to music, given within a space for purpose of expressing an emotion or idea, releasing energy or simply taking delight in movement. That is not how we view dance as a society typically. <laughs> it's performative, right? And so when we perform, it comes with judgment. And very early on, right, when you said, oh, I took these dance classes, we have this experience where it goes from creative movement or pre-dance. You're two, three, four in kind of this exploratory ballet class where we're we're embodying butterflies or we're going to be animals moving through the jungle. And then you graduate from that and you go into technique. And it becomes about how your body looks, looking at yourself in the mirror, your alignment. You have to perform for others. You get critiqued. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think within reason, there's a lot to learn from that structure. But it is where the divide happens between movement and dance as creative expression, this idea of using and moving my energy to express an emotion or an idea versus conveying something to an audience. Conveying a certain emotion or posture or perspective based off of how I move, and that there's a right and a wrong to it. So, in dance movement therapy, there's no right or wrong way to move your body because it is your own innate interpretation of what you experience from a body, from an embodied perspective. In a dance class, there is a right or wrong because there is a technique, right? There is a skill level. And that's not to say, I should say that's with certain dances, right? You could dance to the beat of your own drum, right? And that's fine. But I think all of us, most of us know that if you're going to take a dance class or grow up in a studio, perhaps, that there is a set of criteria. There is a quote right way and there is a wrong way to engage in a traditional dance form. And that's very scary. I have a reaction to that as well. (laughs) I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. No, my days of trying to pirouette or get a perfect plie or leap across the floor, probably behind me, and not because I, quote, can't do it, because it doesn't serve a purpose for me anymore. It doesn't feel good to meet someone else's standards. I dance for me. I dance because it feels good. It's a way to express what I'm feeling or what I don't even know I'm feeling. And so I think we really have to weigh the two definitions, right? This idea of dance as expression and dance as performance. And some of us can engage in both. Some of us choose one over the other. But this idea of dance as performance has such a heavy bearing in society that it prevents us from dancing. We say, that is not for me. I'm not able to do that. Therefore, dance is not in the cards. And I think that is a way that we... I know that's a way that we limit our own capacity for healing because the body needs to be included in mental health. And if we are so afraid of judgment through the body or we have these experiences right growing up where our bodies were judged, especially in a dance class, then there's no way that would be the outlet that's missing from my life. And I think that's what so many people that engage in this type of healing are blown away by, because not only are they so disconnected from their bodies, but they would never in a million years consider themselves dancers or even movers. And it was the one piece that was missing from their mental health journey.
0: Erica, it's been so lovely to listen to you for me on a personal level, because it's revealing blocks that I didn't fully know I had. (laughs) Because I not only can recognize... How a class based on a technique, a dance technique, can feel uncomfortable for me, even though I simultaneously enjoy it, I felt mostly joy at dance classes. The times that I haven't felt joy are for the exact reasons you mentioned, the times where I've been corrected by a teacher. I remember one big memory that happened over 10 years ago at a dance class when a teacher in front of the entire class told me that my shoes weren't right. And there was it wasn't like I was trying to be some professional dancer. I was just there to take a class and she made this, she literally made fun of my shoes and I was mortified and it was a huge class. And this is, I could go on and on about how much shame I felt from that one moment and wonder about the ripple effect that's had. that I haven't even considered since, but there's also for me, the blocks I have around some physical therapies. My my therapist that I'm working with right now, a few months ago, encouraged me to do some humming exercises. And I really didn't like it. <laughs> I was perplexed. Like, why does this feel so uncomfortable to hum? It was just the two of us. We were doing a virtual session and he gave me permission to mute myself. I think I even did. But it was deeply uncomfortable for me. And then I st- based on that experience, wonder, like, would I feel deeply uncomfortable doing dance therapy? There's something about being witnessed for me that's really uncomfortable. And there's also even the curiosity, like, what if, for instance, I was doing a session with you and just like you and I right now, we're recording. We can't see each other because of our technical limitations today. We have our videos off. And I'm wondering, like, if in this moment, Erica, you gave me a therapeutic process, I think I'd still feel uncomfortable doing it, even though you weren't watching me and nobody else was. And I wonder, based on your client work, is there, is that a, I just wonder what you think of that. I won't place any questions beyond that. What What does that mean for someone, me or anyone else who can relate to what I'm feeling right now? who's feeling those physical blocks come up even in a safe psychologically safe place.
1: Yeah, so I'm not here obviously to qualify that or place judgment right on our or what's the word like diagnose because I think that is the norm, right, for a lot of I'll even say us. Like I definitely have those experiences too where I'm like, oh, "I'm not going to do that." No. <laughs> right? That's uncomfortable. I don't want to do that right now. And there's something empowering, right, about not doing something that doesn't feel comfortable. My only reaction is that isn't that where growth happens? Like Change and growth happens through discomfort because we don't want to throw ourselves into the deep end and dysregulate our nervous systems entirely. But we also never evolve if we never experience something out of our comfort zone. So I tend to lean into those times and ask myself, why am I so hesitant or resistant to do this? Why does this feel so uncomfortable? When was the last time I did this? Is this something that I just need to experience more of or maybe I just need to revisit at another time? Do I have a history with these things? Was I shamed for moving a certain way, dancing a certain way, singing a certain way? Yeah, so I just say lean into it. That's when I become curious when I have an embodied response to something, especially when it is counter to what I thought I would want or what I'm being invited to do. You don't have to override the no, just have to be curious and wonder why it's there. So I, yeah, I would just invite in curiosity, but that's a normal response for a lot of us. I get that too, even as a dance therapist, even with my own dance therapist, there are definitely times where I feel uncomfortable in my body. And I don't know what, I don't know if I'm ready to explore it, right? Or I don't know if I even want to explore it. And that's okay. It's not about overriding those parts. It's about listening to them and witnessing them. There's a part of me, right? Or my, I'm noticing the sensation in my body that's stopping me from engaging in this. And maybe it's for, then I, maybe I can put an emotion to it, right? I feel embarrassed. I'm shamed. I'm insecure. I'm vulnerable. X, Y, Z, right? So I just get curious about them. I lean into it. And recognize that it might not be your optimal intervention. Not every, yes, dance therapy is for everyone, but it's not going to be for everyone, if that makes sense. Just internal family systems could be used for anybody, but not everybody is going to engage in it. We get to have free will, we get to choose what modalities we engage in. Um, I'm merely suggesting that if people feel like they're reaching a plateau or they're really aware of these blocks, that they're not broken, that they're, you're not beyond therapy. You just haven't found the right therapy that's really going to target the issues or the concerns, right? Where they are, because we can talk ourselves out of them. We can say that we're fine or deny that they exist, but our body feels it. It is there somewhere, right? The proverbial, the body keeps the score. So yeah, just to get back to what you said and to answer that question, I would just be curious, just what is so uncomfortable about this? Is I allowed to be uncomfortable? Um, We're so far from being playful. And talk about dance. Everybody talks about dancing, nobody's watching. That implies that someone's always watching. So I always say dance like you don't care that anybody's watching. Just dance for you. Just move for you. And I think the more we engage our bodies in what feels like a new way, the more comfortable we become with exploring what our body is capable of. So most of my clients, I would say when they come to me, are uncomfortable. They don't know what it's going to look like. They don't know what to do with their body. Maybe they feel uncomfortable being or becoming aware of their body. And that's okay. That's part of the process. Being present to and starting to listen to what we are carrying with us. Because regardless of whether you acknowledge it or not, it's there. It's always with you. I just think we may as well start using it to our benefit.
0: That's so helpful, Erica. And I feel inspired to spend more time reflecting on this because it's something I think I've just overlooked. And even when you said that statement about dancing like no one's watching. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Dance like you don't care that anybody's watching.
0: Yeah, exactly. And for me, I'm like, wow, maybe I do feel like someone's always watching or I'm carrying the judgments I felt from others with me even when I'm alone, right? Like even those moments where I feel a bit awkward in my body and I'm completely alone or, or I'm with someone and the camera's off or something like that where nobody can actually see me, but I'm still like carrying the weight of being seen. And that's in itself something to be very curious about. So I I feel very inspired. And one thing I want to make sure that we touch more on, because I'd love to learn from you about this, is going back to the accessibility angle. Because I suppose those internal blocks could perhaps be a form of accessibility like you have to work through some things in order for dance to feel comfortable or accessible to you but what about the physical accessibility sides of it what are some things that get in the way of accessibility when you mentioned something about dance being inaccessible what is it on a physical level and how do you help people move into a place where it feels accessible to them physically.
1: Yeah. Again, I think we come so much from the perspective of limitation. Thinking back to some of the early groups that I did, mostly with older adults, people that had dementia or memory impairment, which as we know, because of this mind-body connection and the connection between our thoughts and our embodied feelings and emotions, there is inevitably going to be a regression in the body, right? A regression in the brain correlates to a regression in the body. So I say that because people, staff, administrators of the facilities that I was going into would come up to me and say, "Ah, I don't know how much you're going to get out of them. They're not very mobile. So I'm not really sure how much they're going to dance. Not realizing that these people at the time, like their generation grew up dancing. It was a social thing, right? Like you went out dancing on a Friday night you went to a concert and everybody stood up and danced while the concert was going on. Um, that was real. That is their reality, and that is still that is an embodied memory. So I'm not coming in thinking we're going to be lifting our legs five times, and you need to, It needs to look like this. And again, the staff were really thinking of it from this perspective of what does dance as a performance look like? What does dance as a formal technique class look like which there is benefit to that there are people that do that that's not what i do <laughs> i'm not i'm not a dance educator or a dance teacher i'm coming in as a dance therapist which is different and there is overlap but it is different that being said i think this this ability right bringing in ability one of the questions that i started asking people pretty early on was how are you moving today not based off of what anybody told you, not based off of what I see you doing. What do you recognize as movement? What are you doing? How are you moving right now? How have you moved today? And so people started bringing in I brushed my teeth, I got dressed, I'm breathing, I'm coughing, I just had lunch. Going back to these basics of how my body moves, digestion, vascular movement blood pumping, cells dividing, right? I know that's not how we see dance, but those are all part of the definition of movement. So I think once we broaden this idea of what movement is already happening in my body, all of a sudden I recognize all of the movement at my disposal. And then it, it becomes more accessible. I realize that I have a vocabulary to work with. And on some level, I'm the expert on that. You can come in and teach me a certain type of dance because you have experience in that, but you don't know what it's like to be in my body. You can't experience my body any more than I can. So, giving people agency and empowering them to own how they are able to move. And what's beautiful as a dance movement therapist is we get to engage with people in their movements. And that's not always easy, too. Actually, just last week, I was mirroring a client who. Physically it was very able-bodied, but I was starting to feel inadequate. Could I keep up? Can I do these movements anymore? Have I ever done these movements? What might she think if I can't do these? Like these are things that come go through my mind, even as the therapist in the room sometimes. It's not necessarily being a master of movement because no one can really move. The way anyone else does, right? We can emulate it, we can mimic it, we can mock it, right? But nobody really knows what that embodied experience is except you. So peeling back the layers of what's expected of us as we dance and really redefining how am I moving? What does my movement look like? What's my affinity towards certain movements? Are there certain movements that I avoid altogether and don't even realize? Do I prefer to be low to the ground? Do I prefer to be close towards my body? How do I feel when people come into my space? Can I share space with others as I move through the world? These are all elements of dance. And yet we're separated from them because we don't necessarily engage in them within the capacity of a studio or going to a class or taking a class. It requires having these conversations and sitting with the definitions we've that have been ingrained in us. and giving ourselves permission to redefine
0: it. Speaking of having conversations, I'm curious if you have tips or advice for how we can not only examine this within ourselves but with others. You mentioned earlier the community element of dance and how that was such a big part of socializing, dependent on generation. Hopefully that still is, but I think it just it looks a little bit different in modern times. But what else could we do to support people around us who might want to uh, move through their limitations when it comes to dance movement?
1: Our bodies are trained, in a sense, I don't know if that's the right word, to mirror the bodies around us. So, that being said, if the people you surround yourself with also have this limited view of movement, whether it's an incapacity or a limitation maybe it's you know physical or it's and or cognitive right we're not necessarily pushing the envelope we are not challenging the way we show up in movement in our bodies on a regular basis so with that being said i think it's important to surround ourselves with people that challenge our own idea of movement that even if I have a physical disability, right, that doesn't – I can surround myself. I can engage with people who maybe identify in the same way as me, right? And so I can take up a movement class, right, geared toward a certain population, a certain age, a certain movement ability, or again, or disability. Um, finding community, right? Finding camaraderie also allows us, I think, to be more vulnerable in our bodies in hopefully what feels like a safe or secure way. So recognizing the environment that you're currently in and how it limits your movement, and then finding opportunities or communities that allow you to move in the way that you're looking to move. So Sometimes that's counter to what you're doing. Oh, I I love to take yoga every day, right? That's not me personally, but <laughs> perhaps you are a person that does yoga every day and you're surrounding yourself, right? In these groups of people that do yoga. That's great. But is it really supporting you? Is it supporting your mental health? Are you leaving worse off than you did? Is there pressure to show up? Is there pressure to be or look a certain way? Because we can expand the way that looks. We can take a different class. We can go with a different instructor. We can take it in a different neighborhood. We can take it in a different part of the world or country. Maybe we switch it up altogether. And if I'm always used to doing yoga, then I'm actually going to go for a hip hop class or I'm going to take Zumba or higher level training. We need variety in our movement. We need to expose our body to different ways of moving. If we limit our movement, we limit our emotional range. And so we don't want to just drop ourselves into the deep end, but we can slowly increase our tolerance to different styles of movement, forms of movement, rhythms of movement to ultimately expand and enhance our resilience.
0: You've given me so much to think about, and I imagine that the listener feels the same way, Erica. These are really incredible tools for thought and opportunities to make some shifts in our lives. And we can do that almost immediately, if not right now. The beauty of listening to a podcast is often that you can multitask so you could start moving your body as you're hearing these words and maybe you already have, or maybe switch to some music after this episode and see how that feels. You've opened up a lot of possibilities, Erica, and I'm deeply grateful for that. I love this end note around community and camaraderie and also expanding our experiences to include different types of movement with different types of people, that to me mm. sounds really appealing. And also, like you were saying, putting our place ourselves in places where we can be and can feel vulnerable in our bodies. Some places are just not going to feel safe to us. Or maybe we need to do more work in ourselves in order to feel safe. Like There's complexity there, but it also sounds yeah. simple.
1: Yeah. And I... <laughs> I just want to say and because there is this push to to go into places that automatically say they're safe. And I fall into that too. Sometimes I will invite people into my office, studio, whatever you want to call it. And they feel very they feel warm, they feel welcome, and I will sometimes interchange that word with safe, right? Yes, this is a safe space. It's safe to me. It's my office. <laughs> right? But I can't actually assume that it's safe for everyone. Maybe it's not safe, right? They may have had other experiences in the same building. They don't even know me. We don't have any trust built yet. So we have to rem- remember that trust cannot and safety cannot be assumed, even if the intention of safety is there. Giving yourself the opportunity to even recognize when an environment feels safe and when it doesn't, you know, that there's a difference between lack of safety and vulnerability, right? Discomfort and, uh, and threat, that not all discomfort is a threat doesn't necessarily compromise our safety, but we don't know if we're not engaging in this practice, right? Putting ourselves in new environments is certainly new ways of moving because, again, the idea for me is if we just continue to move in the same ways, we're not actually retraining or rewiring anything. And it makes it much harder to follow those mantras, right? And to change those mindsets. It works for a lot of people until it doesn't anymore. And uh, it's just... it's. It's not all that different than exercise, right? When you do the same exercise over and over again, your muscles plateau and then, okay, I'll increase the weights, you know, or I'll increase the reps. But again, like it, it only does so much for so long, but it's the same thing for our movement and our mental health. If you're doing the same exercise over and over again, if you're moving in the same way, sitting in the way, gesturing in the same way, and you're having trouble changing your mind or thinking beyond the, self, the negative self-talk or making positive changes to your lifestyle and your mental health, movement could be the one thing that is missing. And just giving yourself the opportunity to not even change your movement, but just to notice what is or is not already present. Having my clients just sit and notice their posture is really eye-opening for a lot of them. They're like, no wonder I'm closed off to everything. I sit in a closed position. I couldn't be more wrapped." I couldn't be more closed in on myself. And that's not to shame or blame. We just have to become aware. So if my movement goal is to be more open and expansive and my cognitive goal is to do the same thing in a way that I can trust and be vulnerable and feel secure, then we can work together, right? We can work in this like balance between mind and body. How do I safely open or learn to open my body? so that I can be safe or feel safe in my mind as well. It's not easy. It's a faster trajectory for a lot of people when it comes to like psychotherapy or mental health support. But overall, it is a lifestyle. It's a practice. Comes and goes and depends on how emotionally overwhelmed we already are. I was not super body aware of myself this past weekend because of my emotion. I was just very taxed. I had a lot going on. But it's the first thing I think of when I am able to reground and recenter, right? What don't I have right now? What movement do I need? What am I craving that I did not get enough of in the last 24 hours, week, whatever, however long? It's never too late to start moving.
0: What a perfect note to end on. It's never too late to stop to start moving, not to stop. (laughs) It's never too late. Eventually, we all stop moving. (laughs) 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 And hopefully that eventually is... We'll move while we can. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, move while you can. Another good one too. Thank you so much, Eric. I've really appreciated this. I felt so much psychological safety with you and that's helped me consider things. I've already been curious in this conversation and I imagine that will continue well after and help me become more aware of my body and all these little nuances that I hadn't really considered until I spoke with you. And it's just been really enlightening and delightful. So thank you for spending this time with me and with the listener today and planting a lot of seeds like I said, some things that we could experiment with right now in the present moment or aim for in the future and just see how that contributes to our growth. And again, what more could you ask for? That's exactly what this show is about. I also loved when you said that not all discomfort is a threat. I I don't think I've heard that before. And I am a big... Proponent, obviously, with the name of the show, to lean into the discomfort and just get curious about it, like you said. So, thank you again. And to the listener, if you have enjoyed this conversation and want to learn more from and with Erica, she is linked in two places to make it really easy for you. Speaking of accessibility, I'm always aiming to make things as simple as possible for the listener. So one is in the description where you can find the link to her website. And two, there's a full episode blog post slash show notes version of the show at WellEvator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. In the show notes section under Erica's episode, you'll find all the quotes. Erica, I was writing a ton of quotes down, a little, lots of notes to incorporate into that blog post for anyone who wants to go read it, take it in that way, and find more links to get in touch with Erica. So thanks again, Erica, for being here with me, and thanks to the listener for being here with the two of us as we explored dance and movement in so many ways that I wasn't even expecting.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for the invitation and for your beautiful platform. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to WellEvator.com. That's dot rcom